Amen. Well, I'm handing over to Ian. Ian, share with us. All right. Um, good evening, everyone. It's um, it's really lovely to be able to share with you um, for a few moments this evening. I've been uh, I've been really enjoying our look through this uh, this kind of study of these different characters involved in the in the crucifixion narratives, and um, really enjoyed last night as Christy explored some some quite uh, stark dangers as uh, as revealed to us in Judas and just what happened to him. And as, he, as Christy said, we're going to think for a few moments about Barabbas. Uh, and I suspect that for, for most of us, we're probably quite aware of, of who Barabbas is. We've, we've read his name. We, we kind of perhaps know a little of the outline of, of um, where he steps into the story. And what I'd like us to do this evening is just take a few moments to, uh, to examine who he is and, and, and where he comes into, into this account, into this story storyline and then seek to understand so what what does that show us what does that mean for us uh, so what and um, that's what i'd like us to do so as we begin uh, let me um start by just reminding us um where we're up to as uh, as barabbas is about to step into the uh, step into step onto the stage as it were so this is where we're up to Jesus has been betrayed by Judas. Incredibly, it's one of um, his closest followers, it would seem, who is the one who betrays him and betrays him with that iconic kiss into the hands of the chief priests. And Jesus, um, uh, all this was all happening to fulfill what was written about him. It's all done um, willingly by Jesus. And, uh, and so he... Uh, Jesus is led away and is, uh, is, is this fake uh, sham of a trial as the chief priest uh, headed up by Caiaphas and the full Sanhedrin um, will, will put Jesus on trial. And uh, they decide that he is, is worthy of death. But as we looked at a couple of weeks, they're not able to, uh, to carry out that sentence. So they take him off to the Roman governor who is Pontius Pilate, and, uh, and they take him off and they demand that Jesus be crucified. As Jesus um, um, connects with um, Pilate and, and there's this um, brief discussion that we get, Pilate says, I find no basis for a charge against him. In John's gospel, he'll say that three times. Three times he'll say, Jesus is innocent. I don't find any reason for a charge against him. And the actual charge that's brought against Jesus, it's worth just recognizing what that is. We'll come back to this towards the end, but let's just see it for what it is right now. Um, I'll read from, from Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 23, verse 13 and 14. What's happened is because Pilate's found no basis for a charge against him, He's now, uh, he's now in a bit of a pickle. That's a theological term. And uh, he's, uh, he's now got a man who he considers innocent, but the crowd are desperate for him to be killed. And when Pilate realises that he's from Galilee, he thinks, this is the answer. I'll send him off to Herod. Herod is the one who has jurisdiction over, over Galilee, and he's in Jerusalem at that time for the Passover. So Jesus is sent to Herod. But Herod just sent, sends him back. 
This is what happened straight after that. Verse 13 of 20, chapter 23 of Luke. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers and the people, and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I've examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he's done nothing deserving of death. So we'll just recognise that, that Jesus is, is, is innocence seems pretty clear. And um, I notice the charge that he's been brought against him. Uh, you brought me this man as one who is inciting the people to rebellion. Now, we know that Jesus has publicly um, encouraged people to pay their taxes to Caesar. He said that his kingdom is not of this world. This isn't a political um, change that's come in. It's a, his kingdom is not of this world. Nevertheless, that's the charge that's brought against him. We'll come back to that a little bit later on. Now let's zoom in to see where Barabbas uh, enters the story. We learn that there was a custom in Judea at this time, whereby the Roman governor would release one prisoner at Passover. It seems that it was perhaps a goodwill gesture from, from the Roman governors. As people celebrated the Passover, they're celebrating, uh, the Jewish nation is celebrating their freedom from Egypt, freedom from slavery, uh, heading <laughs> from slavery into freedom as they celebrate that. So, then uh, one prisoner would be released. Now, let, let's just not go too quickly here. Let's just, just think about that for a moment. So Passover is this incredibly important feast for the people of Israel. It's uh, this time when they, they recognise that they were slaves, but, but that God has delivered them. God has gone out and rescued them. He has, he's done something really significant here. He's chosen a people. He's rescued them. He's a redeemer. He's a savior. And the people celebrate that at Passover. So then there's a tension in the air, isn't there? I wonder if you can feel it as we, as we get into it. There's a tension here in this big celebration. Remember what we looked at in Palm Sunday. As all the people who could would die, uh, kind of uh, come down on Jerusalem. Uh, the city swells to five, six times its size. Everyone's there to celebrate their freedom, but they're not free. They're under, they're under Roman rule. There's, this, uh, there's already a bit of tension, perhaps, um, in the air. And so as the, Roman, um, as the Roman governor would release one prisoner, is that an astute kind of political move by Rome to say, you know, we, we understand your culture, your practice, and we want to kind of work alongside you. And it's a kind of a goodwill gesture. Or, or is what ha is what happening here? Is it the Romans just kind of showing their strength, showing their, their, their position? They're saying that, yes, as you celebrate your freedom in the past, just making it clear, you know, that that's not the case right now. Either way, either way, and you can decide what you think about that. Either way, under God's sovereign hand, this is what's going to bring Barabbas onto the stage. This is what's going to 
bring Barabbas into the into this story, and it's going to help us understand just what Jesus is doing here. For none of this is happening because of man. It's all been fulfilling what God himself is set out. So let's read about Barabbas. He is this, this one prisoner who's going to be released. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read uh, the account from Matthew. And I'll just, uh, it's only a few verses, just read what we, we learn about Barabbas. And then I'll just read a couple of verses from Mark, Luke and John, which give us a bit of extra detail. It's not so many verses all in all, but just gives us a full flavour of what's happening. And then we'll try and see what it means. So Matthew chapter 27 Verse 15, we read this. Now, it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, there was a well-known prisoner, or some versions will say notorious prisoner, whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? For he knew that it was out of self, self-interest that they'd handed Jesus over to him. When Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I've suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the people to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah, Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Mark gives us this little extra detail in Mark 15, verse 6. Now, it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested, A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. Luke gives us a little bit less, but he says this in chapter 23, verse 18. But the whole crowd shouted, away with this man, that's Jesus, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. And John says this as he is um, asked by Jesus to consider um, siding with truth. And this is what he says. John 18, verse 38, what is truth? Pilate retorted. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. And then just finally to note that in Acts 3, when uh, when Peter is preaching, he's outlining the gospel in that incredible sermon, he calls Barabbas a murderer. So, What do we know about Barabbas from these passages? Well, the answer is not a tremendous amount. We don't know anything about his life up to this point, and we're not told anything about his life after this either. 
What we do know is this. We know he was a notorious or well-known criminal. We know that he was a murderer. And we know that he'd taken part in an uprising. In other words, in a rebellion. <laughs> From this, we can be sure that Barabbas is guilty. And according to the system of governance that he lived under, under Roman rule, as a man um, guilty of murder and rebellion and uprising, he was heading for one thing. He was heading for the death penalty himself. Just as there's no doubt in the trial that Jesus is innocent, there's no doubt that Barabbas is guilty. And what's this uprising that he's guilty of? Well, it's quite probable that he was, he was not thrilled with the fact that the Romans were ruling in Judea. We're not, uh, we, of course, we're not uh, told that in, in this much detail, but that's certainly what we're led to, uh, led to believe. Let's just do a really, really briefly, just a little snapshot into to the last few uh, years before this, just to give us a sense of what's happening uh, historically. So in the time between the old, when the Old Testament ends and the New Testament begins now, uh, about 400 years in that time period, when we've left the Old Testament, God's people have returned from exile, or some of them have, and they're uh, rebuilding Jerusalem. They're starting national life again. But in that 400 years, they're, they're um, taken over a number of times uh, by Alexander the Great, for one. And, uh, and, and under one particular ruler, there's a lot of pressure, a lot of oppression. They're, um, they're not allowed to sacrifice. There's no, the Sabbath is abolished. And under that pressure, um, flowing out of that comes what we would refer to as the Maccabean Revolt, uh, something which uh, the Jewish people still celebrate today, the kind of cleansing of the temple and the reinstating of national life as they celebrate Hanukkah. And so um, that was going very nicely until the Romans arrived and they conquered in, in AD, in, not in AD, that wouldn't work, in BC 63. And so um, now, 90 years later, in, the, in, the, in this part of the world, there's different levels of sort of interaction and integration under Roman rule. You've got some people who are working with the Romans a bit. And remember the Romans, they pick the Sanhedrin, they pick the chief priests, they pick some significant people. Um, some people are tolerating it. And then you've got the Barabbases of this world these the zealous people who in their perhaps in their own eyes are freedom fighters and they're out to resist Roman rule at all costs. They are um, um, willing to murder either that could be Romans or it could be Jewish people who they um, view as too, sim too sympathetic to Rome. All of that to say, and here's why that's important, Barabbas is a dangerous man. He's dangerous to Rome because he's out, to, he's out to kill. He's dangerous to the Jewish people and he's dangerous for, the, for peace in the area. Remember what the uh, very crime that, um, that Jesus was accused of, inciting a rebellion. Well, if, if I was to try and sum up everything I've just said, then surely that's it. Barabbas is doing exactly that. Barabbas is inciting a rebellion. Rome had no time for people who took part in uprisings. 
It's rebels like this that needed to be uh, killed in the most public of way, in the most dreadful of way, to, to really send that message out that this isn't what, how you treat Rome. It's very likely that Barabbas was heading to execution and quite possibly heading for crucifixion himself. It could have been, and this is speculation now, it could have been that cross on which Jesus died was intended for Barabbas. That cross with the two, one on his left, one on his right. It could be that Jesus was literally crucified in the place of Barabbas. Again, this now would be speculation, but um, some historians tell us that Rome would um, sometimes make prisoners um, make their own cross, which is a pretty horrific detail if that were to be true. It could be that Barabbas has actually made the cross that Jesus will be crucified on as well. Jesus is going to die in the place of a guilty man. He's going to die on the cross of a guilty man. And he's going to die for the crime of a guilty man. As Paul writes to the Corinthians, he'll say this, 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So, so what? So where do we fit into this? What does this mean for us? Well, we, we are Barabbas, aren't we? We, we, in many ways, he's a, he's a great picture of, of this position that we find ourselves in. Notice that Barabbas does absolutely nothing in order to be saved from the punishment that's coming his way. He's been captured. He's in a Roman prison. That in itself would have been an incredibly unpleasant situation to be in. And we don't need to explore the details, but it would have been horrible. And, uh, and as he was in that prison, he would have known exactly what was coming. He was in totally in the hands of his enemy. He was entirely at the mercy of Rome. There's nothing he could do to escape. The, the irony is we have this freedom fighter in chains. Just powerless to get out of the position he's in. In his own eyes, perhaps, or in the eyes of some, he was a man who'd been fighting to save, to kind of for the freedom of his nation, for his own freedom. But he wasn't strong enough. He wasn't good enough. He wasn't powerful enough to win that, that, he, that freedom that he wanted. And yet he's going to go free. Not because he deserves it, not because he uh, raises one finger to achieve it. As he's in that cell, he's as good as dead. But, but for grace. The vivid picture that this gives us, it helps us understand the situation we find ourselves in spiritually. Romans 6 tells us that we are slaves to sin. That sin is, is our master. and We're actually powerless to escape. 
we might try our best. We might, uh, we might try really hard. But the reality is that we're not big enough. We're not powerful enough. We're not strong enough. We're not good enough to break free of sin. Our efforts are not good enough. And yet we can be saved, not because of our efforts, not because of our good works, but because of grace, because of Jesus. Because of our rebellion against God, and because of our pride, our sin, we're in this unpleasant situation, this unpleasant prison cell. Spiritually speaking, we are making our own gallows, as it were. It, it's, it's, it's harsh imagery, but... But sometimes we don't perhaps want to look at the ugliness of sin as we could. Imagine what Barabbas must have felt like as he heard the soldier's footsteps approaching his prison cell. What must have been going through his mind? Is this, is this another torture coming? Is this some mercy of food? Is this the time? that I'm led away to give my life. Imagine what must have been going through his mind as a soldier thrust him into the light, coming out of the dark and his eyes are just to the light. And he sees Jesus and the crowd choose Jesus. As I was growing up, this was one of my favorite hymns and you'll be pleased to know that I'm not gonna sing it for you. Um, but I'm just going to read one of the verses. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll just read it for you. It says this, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray, and I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. And that puts it so beautifully, what's happened to us because of Jesus. So what happened to what happened to Barabbas? What, what happened? Well, the, the honest answer is we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us, and, um, and tradition doesn't tell us either. There's very little about Barabbas kind of outside of, of what we've read tonight in the Bible. But as he steps down and steps kind of down from the stage, as he, was, he steps down away from, the, from the, the courtroom and he slips out into the crowd, he'd look back and see Jesus. And the only thing that we know is at that point he'll have a decision to make. And his decision is this, either he has his life transformed by grace or he carries on as he was. He either has his life transformed by grace or he carries on as he was. And I, I suppose that is our decision too. We, like Barabbas, have done wrong. We, uh, we've seen we perhaps haven't done the same things that he did. But we know that Romans tells us there's no one righteous, no, not one. We know in Isaiah it says, Isaiah 53, we all like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned to our own way. 
and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. And as Jesus walks to that cross, designed for and perhaps made by Barabbas, he was going there for you and for me. He was going there just as he always was going to, to fulfill everything that was written about him, to fulfill that all that the Old Testament had set out, all that the Old Testament sacrificial system was pointing us to, and to reconnect us with God. As I close, what I want to do is I want to read from Luke what happened on that Good Friday. This is as Barabbas slips into the crowd. As he looks back, this is what's happening to Jesus. And this is what should have happened to him. Luke chapter 23, verse 18. This is slightly longer, but this, <laughs> this is what it's all about. Let me read. But the whole crowd shouted, away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate pleaded, uh, sorry, appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he spoke to them, why? What crime has this, uh, this man committed? I have found, him, I found in him no grounds for death. Therefore, I'll have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they incessantly demanded that he be crucified and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who'd been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. As the soldiers led him away, they sieged Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in, in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. <coughs> Jesus turned to them and said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you'll say, blessed are the childless women, the wombs that have not bore and the breasts that have not nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us and the hills cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. 
there was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this saw, that, saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who'd followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now, there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. <clears throat> he came from the Judean town of Arimathea and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus's body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in a linen cloth and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had been laid. It was preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. Amen.